Chapter One of the Sheridan Road Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sheridan Road Mystery by Paul and Mabel Thorne. Chapter One The Shot. It was a still, balmy night in late October. The scent of burned autumn leaves hung in the air and a hazy moon, showing just over the housetops, deepened the shadows on the streets. Policeman Murphy stopped for a moment, as was his custom, at the corner of Lawrence Avenue and Sheridan Road. He knew that it was about two o'clock in the morning, as that was the hour at which he usually reached this point. He glanced sharply up and down Sheridan Road, which at that moment seemed to be completely deserted, save for the distant red tail-light of a belated taxi, the whir of whose engine came to him quite distinctly on the quiet night air. Just then, Policeman Murphy heard a shot. Instantly his body quickened with an awakened alertness, and he glanced east and west along the lonely stretch of Lawrence Avenue. He saw nothing, and concluded that the sound he had heard must have come from one of the many apartment buildings which surrounded him. Murphy pondered for a moment. Was it a burglary? A domestic row? Or perhaps a murder? The position of the shot was hard to locate, for it had been but the sound of a moment on the still night. Murphy, however, decided to take a chance, and started stealthily north on Sheridan Road, keeping within the shadow that clung to the buildings. He had moved only a short distance in this way, when a man in a bathrobe dashed out of the doorway of an apartment house just ahead of him, and ran north. Murphy instantly broke into pursuit. At the sound of his heavily shod feet on the pavement, the man in the bathrobe stopped and turned. Murphy slowed up, and the man advanced to meet him. "'I'm glad you're handy, officer,' panted the man. I think somebody has been murdered in our building. Come and investigate. Sure, assented Murphy. That's what I'm here for. And as they mounted the steps of the apartment house, he inquired, What flat was it? The top floor on the north side, replied the man, who then informed Murphy that his name was Marsh, and that he lived on the second floor, just below this apartment. You see, Marsh continued, a little while ago my wife and I were awakened by a noise in the apartment over us. It sounded like a struggle of some kind. As we listened, we felt sure— that several people were taking part in it. Suddenly there was a shot, and a sound followed as if a body had fallen to the floor. After that was absolute silence. I hastily put on my bathrobe and was hurrying out to find a policeman when I met you. By this time Marsh, with Murphy at his heels, had reached the door of the third-floor apartment. Murphy placed a thick forefinger on the button of the electric bell, and rang it sharply several times. The men could distinctly hear the clear notes of the bell, but no other sound reached them. Again Murphy pressed the bell, without response. "'Murder all right, I guess,' muttered Murphy. "'And the guys probably slipped down the back stairs. "'Who lives here, anyway?' he inquired, turning to Marsh. "'That's the peculiar part about it,' was the reply. "'The people who rent this apartment went to Europe this summer, "'and as I understand it, they won't be back for another month. "'The apartment has been closed all summer. "'That is what amazed Mrs. Marsh and myself "'when we heard this sound above us.' "'It looks like we'll have to break in,' said Murphy. "'Let me use your telephone.' "'Certainly,' agreed Marsh, and led the way to his apartment. Murphy sat down at the telephone. His hand was on the receiver when he suddenly paused and turned to Marsh. "'You know,' he commented, half-meditatively, "'it's funny we haven't seen anybody else show up in the halls. I heard that shot way down at Lawrence Avenue. At least the people across the hall ought to have been waked up by it. Are you sure it was in this house?' "'Why, certainly,' retorted Marsh. "'Didn't I tell you that we heard the struggle and the shot right over our heads?' "'Well, it sure takes a lot to disturb some people,' 
said Murphy, as he placed the telephone receiver to his ear and called for his connection. After some words, he got his precinct station. "'Hello,' he called. "'Is that you, Sergeant? This is Murphy. I'm in the Hillcrest Apartments on Sheridan Road. Yes, that's right. Just north of Lawrence Avenue. I think somebody's been murdered, and we'll have to break in. Send the wagon, will you?' "'Don't know a damn thing yet,' he added, evidently in reply to a question. "'Hurry up the wagon.' He replaced the receiver on its hook, then turned to Marsh as he stood up. "'I think I'll hang around the door up there until the boys come. Much obliged for your help. You'd better go back to bed now.' "'Oh, no,' objected Marsh. "'I couldn't sleep with all this excitement going on. And then Mr. Ames is a friend of mine. He would want me to look after things for him.' Murphy looked Marsh over in evident speculation. The man was tall and broad-shouldered. His face was clean-shaven. The features were strong, with a regularity that many people would consider handsome. He was what one would call a big man, but this appearance of bigness arose more from a heavy frame and exceptional muscular development than fleshiness. Murphy took in these details quickly, and the pause was slight before he spoke. "'Who's Ames?' he said. "'The man who rents the apartment upstairs.' Then apparently taking the matter as settled, Marsh added, "'I'll go along with you.' Murphy grunted. Whether in assent or disapproval was hard to tell, but as he climbed the stairs again, Marsh was close beside him. Murphy placed his hand on the doorknob and shook the door as he violently turned the knob. The door was securely locked. Then he threw his two hundred and some odd pounds against the door itself. The stout oak resisted his individual efforts. "'No use,' he muttered. "'I'll have to wait till the boys come.' The two men sat down on the top step to wait for the coming of the police. They chatted, speculating upon the possible causes of the disturbance. Marsh, however, seemed more interested in getting Murphy's ideas than in expressing opinions of his own. At length they heard the clang of the gong on the police patrol as it crossed Lawrence Avenue. They stood up expectantly. An instant later there was a clatter in the lower hall as the police entered. They mounted the stairs rapidly, two officers in uniform and another in civilian clothes. "'Where's the trouble?' cried the latter, as the party climbed the last flight. "'In here as far as I know,' returned Murphy, as he jerked a thumb over his shoulder toward the door of the apartment. "'I can't get a rise out of anybody. We'll have to break in.' Marsh stood aside while the four men took turns, two and two, in throwing themselves against the door. It creaked and groaned, and from time to time there was a sharp crack as the strong oak began to give. In the meantime, the murmur of voices came up from the lower floors. Presently, faces appeared on the landing, just below where the police were working. Marsh leaned over the rail, and in a few words outlined to the excited tenants what was going on. Intent on their work of breaking in the door, the policemen paid little attention to their audience and apparently did not notice that the door across the hall was still closed and silent. Murphy, however, recalled this fact later on. At last, with a crash and a splintering of wood, the lock gave way, and the door flew open. All was darkness and silence before them. The five men stood grouped in the doorway, listening intently. The black silence remained unbroken, save for the labored breathing of the men who had just broken in the door. The plainclothes man then brought forth an electric pocket-lamp, and flashed its rays into the entrance hall, while the others drew their revolvers and held them in readiness. Then all stepped into the hallway. This was a large, square entranceway, with four doorways opening from it. Two closed doors faced them. As they discovered later, these led to a bedroom and the bathroom. The others, one opening toward the front of the apartment and one toward the rear, were wide archways covered with heavy velvet portieres. The plainclothesman found the wall switch and turned on the electric light, Instructing one of his companions to watch the hall door, 
he led the others in a search of the apartment. Seeking for the electric light buttons as they moved about the apartment, the men soon flooded the rooms with light. Each man with revolver ready, and intent on searching every corner, none of them gave much attention to the fact that Marsh was dogging every move, apparently as keenly on the lookout as any one of the party. Their inspection revealed nothing more than that the apartment was apparently in the same condition as its tenant had left it. The door to the outside stairway at the back was locked, and the key was missing. In addition to the regular lock, a stout bolt was in place. The catches on all the windows were properly locked, and all the shades remained drawn down close to the sills. It was an empty, locked apartment, with no outstanding evidence of having been used for a long time. The police, now joined by the man lately on watch at the door, stood nonplussed in the kitchen. The plainclothes man uttered an oath. Then he addressed his companions. "'I've seen some mighty fishy situations, but this trims anything I ever ran up against. Ain't been just hearin' things, have you, Murphy? A swig of this homemade hooch does upset a man dreadful sometimes.' Murphy glared. "'I ain't never touched this stuff,' he bellowed. Then added aggressively, "'You know damned well I wasn't the only one to hear that shot. The tenant downstairs heard it, too. It was him that brought me in.' "'Well, you only got his word for it that this is where the shot was fired. Maybe he's trying to cover something up.' Murphy started, then glanced around. "'Hell!' he exclaimed. "'Where's that guy gone to, anyway?' Marsh, who had recently been close at their heels, was not now in the group. Murphy moved on tiptoe to the kitchen door and listened. On the other side of the dining-room was the doorway to the entrance hall, and through the now-drawn curtains this space was visible. Murphy could see that both these rooms were deserted, but an occasional swishing sound came to his ears. Turning to the waiting group, he silently and significantly jerked his head toward the front of the apartment. Following his example, they moved cautiously across the dining-room and the hall, and stopped at the door of the living-room. Marsh, with his back toward them, was just in the act of pulling a heavy upholstered chair back into position. His moving of similar articles of furniture had made the sounds heard by Murphy. Stepping forward into the room, Murphy inquired, with a note of sarcasm in his voice, "'Kinda busy, ain't you?' Marsh turned abruptly. If they expected to see any signs of confusion on his face, they were disappointed, for he simply smiled cheerfully. "'Just following a line of thought,' he answered. "'What's the big idea?' asked the plainclothesman, suspiciously, as he stepped into the room and carefully looked over the man before him. "'Well, detectives in novels always search minutely for things which may not be apparent to the eye. When confronted with so deep a mystery as this one, I thought the application of a little of the storybook stuff might do no harm.' Huh, snorted the plainclothesman, as Marsh finished giving this information. "'You're more than commonly interested in this affair, ain't you?' "'Naturally,' agreed Marsh. "'Remember, I live just below, and wouldn't like to be murdered in my bed some night. To hear a murder over your head is a bit disconcerting.' "'How the devil do we know there's been a murder?' shot back the plainclothesman. "'We've only got your word for it.' "'But this officer also heard the shot,' and Marsh turned toward Murphy. "'He was looking for the trouble when I met him.' "'Yes,' Murphy admitted. "'I heard the shot, but I only got your word for it that it was here. If there was a murder, what became of the body?' "'That is for you gentlemen to find out,' Marsh snapped back, now evidently alive to the fact that these men were regarding him with something approaching suspicion. "'I have already done more than my share of the work. I have discovered visible proof that there was a murder.' This information startled the group of policemen. Hasty glances swept the room for a moment. Then the plainclothesman remarked with a meaning smile, "'Well, I'm from Missouri.' Marsh walked over to where the policemen stood. "'Take a look around,' he began. "'There are certain accepted ways of placing the furniture in a room. 
when there is a radical departure from such placing an inquiring mind is led to wonder notice the chair i was just moving it is located almost in the centre of the room obviously not its regular position so why was it there say you'd make some detective came in an admiring tone from murphy the others nodded approval of the remark i began to examine that chair and its surroundings carefully continued marsh ignoring the interruption he then moved over to the chair and added as he pulled it to one side i moved it away like this now look at the floor the policeman crowded forward what marsh had found was apparent at once on the light background of the rug was a large dark spot which the chair had covered the plain-clothes man stooped and placed his hand on the spot it felt damp to the touch and as he stood erect again holding his hand under the light they all saw that the fingers were covered with a thin film of red blood cried murphy yep affirmed the plain-clothes man fresh blood excited exclamations from the others showed their appreciation of the discovery marsh smiled i guess that looks like a possible murder he said a chair was placed there to cover the spot all right now admitted the plain-clothes man but what became of the body again questioned murphy as i said before marsh answered him that is for you to find out it is not my business some mystery exclaimed the plain-clothes man this is a job for dave morgan End of chapter 1